0: Keep them in, in your prayers uh, during the week and keep praying because we're believing for a, a breakthrough. Amen? Amen? Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Who's been enjoying this series on keeping company with God? Getting a lot out of it? Well, we're going to continue in it today and um, I was reading this week about the importance of role models in our lives, how critical it is to have role models uh, we learn. God has designed us to learn by observing. That's why He gave us parents, and parents are there to be role models to show us how to live. There's it? an amazing, uh, amazing uh, statistic. I can't remember it exactly, but uh, if your parent is a smoker, even if your parent tells you not to smoke, their children usually end up smoking, like in a very high. I think it's over eighty percent of the time. And parents don't say, oh, you should smoke because they know it's bad for you. But if they're smoking, they role model to their children about smoking and children observe it and it becomes a part of their life. That's the power of role models. And when it comes to keeping company with God, it's important that we have role models, role models with each other. But also God has given us his word, as Damien preached last week. And, And in his word, the Bible it's full of examples of role models for us to follow, isn't it? I love reading the Bible and reading about men and women of God who are very human, like you and I. They make lots of mistakes. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. They're, they're not any different to us, but they're amazing. And it, it encourages me because I think, I can do that. If they can do it, I reckon I can do it. Isn't that right? Uh, That's the basic power of role models. And so we see people in the Bible that are very insecure, that have all sorts of struggles and challenges that they have to deal with. Um, And then we see them in these amazing mountaintop experiences and victories and overcoming these great things. And we think, oh, that's what I want to be like. But the fact is, the reality of it is often when we read about these people is it's not just simply one obstacle, and one victory, but they're overcoming again and again, someone's phone, <laughs> um, they're overcoming things again and again and again, and uh, that in a lot of their cases, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like they take one step forward and two steps backwards, isn't that right? They're, they're, they have these amazing victories, and then a few chapters later, they're doing something really stupid, and you think, why? God's done this amazing thing through you, and now all of a sudden you're going back to doing some crazy thing. But at the same time, I guess I take heart in that because we all know in our own experience with God that there are lots of ups and downs. There's not just one victory and then we're free forever, but we have to continually walk and live in that. And sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we fall back and sometimes we keep moving forward. But it's all about the journey. And so today I want to share with you from one, look at the life of one specific role model God's given us. And I I like him because he really knows what it means to keep company with God, because when they describe him, they describe him as a man after God's own heart. Obviously I'm talking about King David. But to be called a man after God's own heart, that tells me that, hey, David must have known God. He must have known who God is and what he is all about, and he must have kept company with him. So I want to learn from him. And I believe David has a lot to speak into the life of this church. You know, as a church, I believe that God has called us to be worshippers, but he's also called us to be warriors. And that's what David was. He was a worshipper, but he was also a warrior. It's a funny combination, because often worshippers you think is really soft-hearted, tender people, But then as a warrior, and David was this as well, he's chopping people's heads off and doing all sorts of crazy things. But I feel that's a heart of our church, that God has called us to be worshippers of God, that we worship with everything we have. But he's also called us to be warriors, that we are not going to stand for the rubbish that gets thrown at people and that gets put into people's lives. And we're going to stand in God's name and say, that's enough. And God, we want to see breakthrough. We want to see change. We want to see transformation. We want to see our community touched. And we don't want to put up with the rubbish that keeps going on and on and on. The addictions that go from generation to generation. We want to see that changed. And that's what God has called us to be. To be worshippers and warriors. And so today, I want to talk to you. About David's life, and it's best to start at the beginning. And so we're going to start in. Have we got that up? My clicker. Damien, it didn't work. It was working before. There it is 1 Samuel 16. It's a bit small because I wanted to fit a lot in here because it's a fairly long passage. But this is the moment when David is being called by God to be king of Israel. And it says now the Lord said to Samuel the prophet how long will you mourn for Saul the former king seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel fill your horn with oil and go I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons and Samuel said how can I go if Saul hears it he will kill me but the Lord said take a Heifer, with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming saying, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came he looked at Eliab and said surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now Eliab is Jesse's first and oldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel do not look at his appearance for at his physical or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab <coughs> excuse me, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him For we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward." I want us to look at that verse at the top again. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is the first time we meet David in the Scriptures. And it's in this moment we discover that David is something different. He is something different to other people. And uh, the amazing thing is that God sees differently to us, doesn't he? See, everyone else didn't see David. Everyone else overlooked David. Everyone else, dare I say, probably undervalued David because they saw with human eyes. But when God sees us, he looks at our hearts. And that tells us that, We need to understand that God sees differently to the way we see. We see with the eyes that the world of the world that we live in—a world that esteems outward appearance, it esteems how big your bank account is, a world that esteems the way you look and your status. But God sees differently. God sees us as James shared earlier. He sees us as His children. He sees us as his creation, the ones he created in his image. He sees us differently. And we need to remember that when God sees us, he looks past the outward appearance and as this verse says, he looks into the heart. Now this is really important because we need to understand that God is not too fussed about outward but he is worried and concerned about your heart. And I dare to say, I would say that when, David, when God looks at David, he's not just looking at David's heart, but he's looking at David's heart or who David's heart belongs to. Because in the Jewish culture, the heart, when they talked about heart, they weren't just talking about this thing inside our chest. To the Jews, the heart was the very core of who we are. The Bible talks about from the heart springs all the issues of life, that the heart is literally can be described or defined as the throne of our lives. Anyone knows that where there is a throne, a throne is a place of rulership. So the basic idea to the Jews is where where your heart is, that's what matters most. Or in other words, whoever sits on your heart, that's... Who rules your life? So when, when self and, and I sit on the throne of my heart or on my, of my life, who rules my life? Selfishness rules my life. If fear sits on the throne or the heart of my life, then worry and anxiety rule my life, don't they? Isn't that right? If money sits on the throne of my life, their materialism and consumerism and, and all of those things rule my life. Isn't that right? But if God sits on the throne of your life, then everything that God represents will rule your life. The kingdom of God will be evident in your life. What's the kingdom of God? Love, peace, hope, all of those things that we know of him. And this is the amazing thing. When Samuel discovers David, when he meets him, He discovers a man after God's own heart. Or in other words, he discovers a man whose heart is fully God's. A man whose heart is fully committed to God. In 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. This is a... When Samuel meets David, I think it's a, this verse coming to pass. That God's eyes were looking for the next king of Israel. He was scanning, well, who can I find? But when he stops on David, he goes, I have found a heart fully committed to him. So I'm going to anoint him, I'm going to empower him to be the next king of Israel. I'm going to strengthen him. This is a sobering question. And this is the question I ask myself, so don't get offended if I ask you. What does God see when he looks at our hearts? We hope, don't we? We hope that he sees love. We hope that he sees he finds a place where he can live and rule and reign. The truth is this passage says the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those But there should be a little star there, conditions apply, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. There are conditions for this promise. And so we're going to have a look at David's life right now and look at what made him so committed to God. What made him a person that that can be a role model for us when it comes to keeping company with God. Is that cool? The first thing we discover about David, other than he's fully committed to God, is that, as I said, your status doesn't matter. You see, when Jesse describes his son as the youngest, he's not saying he's not saying it as a compliment or an expression. He's actually saying he's the least important of my sons. He's ah uh, yeah. Samuel, Samuel says, "Have you got another son?" Oh yeah, but it's. David, he's like the youngest. Why would you be interested in him? He's not important. That's what he's literally saying. And and then he goes, well, where is he? And he says, well, and anyway, he's looking after the sheep. Guess what? Shepherding in those days was the worst possible job you could have. Think of the worst possible job you could have today, and that's what shepherding was. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. So not only was David overlooked by his father, his father says, you're only worthy to be a shepherd, so go look after the sheep. So he was not only overlooked, he was undervalued by his family as well. Isn't that crazy? But guess what? God doesn't care about that. God looks past that and looks at the heart. He doesn't care about your outward appearance. He doesn't care about whether you have that job or this job or, or any special job. Or he doesn't care if you've got five degrees or, or no degrees. He looks at your heart. He doesn't care if you're muscly and, and ripped like James or you look more like me. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you win beauty pageants. Or you don't win beauty pageants. He looks at your heart. You see, to keep company with God, we need to understand your status doesn't matter. He wants to be with you. And I think it's really important for you to consider that this morning because maybe there's people here that you felt overlooked all your life. Aren't you glad that you have a father who doesn't see you the same way maybe your parents see you? See, David's father overlooked him and undervalued him. But God the Father looked past that and saw someone of great value, great importance, and someone he could use to do his will. Isn't that awesome? And I say to people in this place that maybe your upbringing and your family and your parents looked at you and and spoke all sorts of terrible things over you. But you need to know God the Father looks past that and he sees you and he says you're my child i can use you i can i can do something with you i can you have i have a plan and a purpose for you isn't that good he's excited about that i don't know i am this is this idea is is such a theme throughout the bible that god operates in this way in first corinthians 1 verses 26 to 29, there's this really powerful passage from Paul that says how God likes to work. Because he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. How beautiful is that? Isn't that cool? This is the business God is in. He loves to take ordinary. He loves to take things that are undervalued, things that are overlooked, and he loves to put them up on show and show his glory to them. He loves to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. That's what he's called us to, church, that, that we would be people who know our God and do great exploits. The second thing we learn from David about keeping company with God, is that spiritual hunger is critical. The reason David was described as a man after God's own heart was because David's heart was completely committed to God. He was completely focused on God. Now, David, as I said, was a worshipper, and he wrote many, many of the Psalms. And when you read some of his Psalms, you get a picture of his spiritual hunger, his spiritual passion, His hunger for God. And I just want to share one of them with you today. And it's in Psalm 63. And you can read it with me if you want. Um, But it says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me with more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I will lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through, through the night. Because you are my helper I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. What an amazing passion. What an amazing hunger for God. I lay on my bed all night thinking of you, God, meditating on how wonderful you are. Anyone done that? But this is the spiritual hunger that David exhibits and shows and that's what God is calling us to, is this type of spiritual hunger for God. They'll say, God, you are my everything. Even though I live in a land that is dry and parched of spiritual significance, though I live in a secular society that doesn't support my Christian faith, I will seek you with everything I have. I don't care if the politicians make crazy laws. I will seek you with all that I have. I don't care if they tell me I can't profess my faith. I will seek you with all that I have because in you is all that I need. He says in Psalm 27 verse 4, David again, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. You have to remember in this time, Where God's presence was in this time was in the temple. And so David is saying, I want to be in the temple of God because that's where God is. And I want to be there all my life. But who knows the exciting thing this day is because of what Jesus did. We are now the temple and he can dwell in us. He dwells in us. And so we have God with us all the time. Do we make the most of that church? That God is with us always and that we would seek him and we would tune into him and we would say, God, what would you want of me today? I, my life is in your hands. I put my trust in you. You see, when we make God our absolute priority, it starts to put things in order for us because we're doing what we were created to be. Jesus said it this way in Matthew. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, put God first. Seek him and all he has and he'll take care of the rest. He'll sort it out. He'll put things into place. But with God first, it is possible. Which brings us to our last point, is to keep company with God. We need to understand we exist to trust God in all things. Very simple Very straightforward. But this is the thing about David. His hunger led him to understand, God, I trust you with my life. My life is in your hands. You see, when we meet David, he is a shepherd boy. He's just looking after his father's sheep. He's doing something very ordinary. He didn't know that around the corner he was going to be anointed the next king of Israel. He didn't know around the corner he would slay a giant and set Israel free. He didn't know these things, but he knew at that moment his father had asked him to look after the sheep, so that's what I'll do. And it's not just his earthly father, it was obviously he understood that God had put him in that place and in that family, so I'm going to do what I have to do right now. And it's really interesting because when he does this, we discover a little bit later when David's talking to Saul before Uh, He's about to slay Goliath. He says, Saul wants to put his armor on him. And he goes, I don't need that. It's not right. It doesn't fit. And he goes, the thing that I've discovered, and he says, your servant, talking about himself, used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So David's out on the hillside looking after his father's sheep, and he'd made a decision, if this is what God's called me to, that this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, then I'm going to do it with the best of my ability. So if a bear comes, look out bear. If a lion comes, you're not going to touch these sheep, because I'm going to make sure these sheep are the most Best fed and best protected sheep you'll ever find. This is the sort of attitude. And that's the thing. When you trust God, then anything is possible. When you put him first, then God will look after the rest. This is what David discovered. That as he did what God had called him to, as he was faithful in the small things, God then blessed him with the big things. I would go as far to say that if David wasn't able to look after his father's sheep in this way, how could God ever have trusted him with slaying a lion, or slaying a giant? How would he have ever trusted him with ruling the kingdom of Israel? This is the reality of what trusting God is all about, that God asks us, to look after small things to start with. And when we're faithful in that, when we trust him that, God, if you've put this in my hands, then I will do it with the best of my ability. Then he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus actually says this in, uh, in the Gospels where he says, if I've got it there, oh, I've got to get a new clicker. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount so now I will give you many more responsibilities. You see it's in the little things that we learn to trust God. It's important that we understand that David and we should learn the same, learn the power of doing the little things well. There's an old saying I don't know if any of you have heard this, they used to one of my Bible college lecturers used to use it Big doors swing on small hinges. Big doors swing on small hinges. So God's got great doors for us to go through, but it relies on us to understand it's in the small things. It's small things that open big doors. Small things open big doors. So being faithful in the small And trusting God in the little is training ground for trusting God in the lot, in the big. In other words, don't despise the days of small beginnings. See, I believe God is wanting to raise up Davids in our community and in our church. And you may feel ordinary. Well, that's good. Because that's all David was. He was the youngest of eight brothers and a shepherd, nothing very special. But God came and touched his life and used him to do extraordinary things. See, don't don't be worried about your social status. Just be worried about God. Maybe there's people in this place and When you read about David's passion and hunger for God, you go, I don't have that fire anymore. I've lost it. I don't have that passion. It's not as, as it used to be. Well, guess what? God's here today and he's available to you and he's saying, come back. I'll restore that passion. Just put your eyes back on me. Trust me again. Put your life in my hands and I will. Stir up that passion within you. Maybe there's others here that you're feeling like, I've just been doing the small things for so long. When will ever my opportunity for bigger things come? And God would say, don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep trusting me in the little. And I will open doors that no man can shut. You see, David became a giant killer because he was an ordinary guy, totally committed to God, and he, was doing, and he was willing to do anything for God, even if it seemed to be insignificant. Will we learn from his example? I believe if we do, and if we learn to follow his example, and use David as a role model, I believe anything is possible for us, church. Anything is possible for this community. Anything is possible. Let's pray. I pray that this morning's message would be an encouragement to people in this place. That the answer to their situation and to where we are at is not anywhere but in God. That as we yield ourselves to him and ask him to help us, as we commit our lives totally to him, that we would find the hope and the truth and the freedom that we so desire and hunger. God, I pray for every person here in this place, that they would come to a deeper understanding of who you are, that their hunger for you would grow and grow and grow, and that the fulfilment of that promise, that you strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you, God, that you would come and bring strength into their situation, that you would come and minister to them and let them know they are not alone, but they have you with them, and that with you anything is possible, God. I pray that you would help us to trust you, Lord, with everything we have. That we would put our trust in you, our whole lives, every part of our lives, I pray, in Jesus' name.